Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, a biopharmaceutical business that is pushing the boundaries of science to deliver new cancer medicines. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about organ transplant for cancer patients with Dr. Sukru Emery. Dr. Emery is a professor of transplant surgery at Yale School of Medicine, and Dr. Gore is a professor of internal medicine and hematology at Yale and director of hematologic malignancies at Smilo Cancer Hospital. So I don't think that many in our audience, uh, including myself, think much about organ transplantation and cancer together. As a matter of fact, in my field, of course, in, in blood malignancies, we know that some people who've had organ transplants, unfortunately, sometimes develop certain kinds of lymphomas very rarely that we have to worry about. But that's a, that's a different story. So how does organ transplantation um, interface with cancer? Well, that uh, uh, thank you for the question, and I'm going to focus on liver only. Liver, okay. In this uh, uh, topic, that uh, because there are many organ transplants, as you know, um, that includes heart, lung, liver, kidney, and pancreas, intestine, uh, bone marrow, and so on and so forth. Sure. And also recently, we do have composite uh, tissue uh, graft uh, transplant, such as uh, extremity transplant, uterus wow. transplant, and so on and so forth. We read about face transplants in the newspaper. Exactly, that face is uh, another one. Uh, but uh, today I'm gonna focus on liver transplantation. Transplantation of the liver can be done uh, for many different reasons, and that might be viral diseases, such as hepatitis C, hepatitis B, very rarely hepatitis A uh, with acute uh, liver failure form and also uh, alcoholic liver disease and some genetic metabolic liver diseases such as um, uh, tyrosinemia, um, uh, urea cycle disorders. Things uh, which I don't know anything about and our audience and so doesn't so know far. anything about either. Yeah. Uh, but uh, mainly in adults, uh, uh, the uh, we do transplant uh, for uh, um, hepatitis C and alcoholic liver disease, PSC, PBC, autoimmune liver diseases, and the, any cirrhotic patient can develop cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. that uh, I don't think our audience probably knows what a cirrhotic patient is. As yes. a matter of fact, I'm a little concerned. Like, let's say I'm a baby boomer, which I am, and I find out that I have hepatitis C, which happily I don't, but uh, many people mm. do, and they don't know it. Does everybody with hepatitis C need to get a liver transplant? That's that's pretty scary. Um, uh, the If it's not treated, now, thank God, we have uh, new treatments, and then the, when, we get, when someone gets an hepatitis C, development of cirrhosis takes somewhere around 15 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, before uh, cirrhosis develops, uh, which is uh, what we call cirrhosis, the uh, development of scar tissue in scar the liver. Scar tissue, I see. So when it happens, and uh, there is no returning back, mm. and patients are going to need a transplant. But if hepatitis C diagnosed early and treated with the new medications, which is uh, 97% success rate. Wow. Then the uh, liver will regenerate itself, and therefore that uh, 
transplant will be totally avoided. So that's a good advertisement for baby boomers to make sure they've gotten some uh, preventative medical care and if they're in that risk group gets screened uh, for hepatitis they may not know that, that they have. That is correct and the patients with uh, high risk group and uh, IV drug users and people that uh, they get blood transfusions and they, uh, but many of the time, most of the times we do not know how uh, hepatitis C was uh, the um, the the acquired uh, acquired by the uh, patients sometimes beauty parlors and if they are not careful and they are using the same instruments for the everyone blood may be trans uh, you know the uh, via the blood tra- the, the, the disease will, will be uh, uh, transmitted to a new individual so therefore in a high risk group and we suggest that they should check their hepatitis C serologies mm-hmm. if they are positive uh, yes, there's a treatment. Gotcha. So, but but when you say cirrhosis, then and you've just explained that this is a scarring uh, in the liver. Um, you mentioned, as if I understand it correctly, there are many uh, ways to have that happen outside of hepatitis infections, and you mentioned alcoholic liver disease and, and others. That's right. right. Um, hemochromatosis and another one, and then the. That's why, and this, uh, they are uh, in our specialty, our uh, liver doctors, what we call hepatologists. Any patient with uh, liver cirrhosis or liver developed scar tissue, that is routine that we will check certain things. Mm-hmm. One is what we call tumor marker, alpha fetoprotein. Another one, every six months, we do imaging studies, either ultrasonogram or CT scan or MRI, mm-hmm. just to, uh, to follow this patient carefully. Because once scar tissue is fer- performed, and scar tissue causes inflammation that may lead to development of cancer, hmm. liver cancer, what we call hepatocellular carcinoma. Well, how, uh, cancer. how often will patients with cirrhosis develop hepatocellular carcinoma? Um, the, the, um, uh, they are estimate that within five years and after diagnosis of, uh, let's say, hepatitis C, and approximately 20% of the patients will develop hepatocellular carcinoma. Oh, that's a lot. And, uh, it is One a lot. One in five. Mm-hmm. And indeed, in the United States, the uh, number of uh, HCC-related death is increasing. Um, 2018, um, we estimate that, uh, estimate that uh, uh, approximately uh, the... 60,000 uh, individuals will develop uh, HCC. That's liver cancer, right? Liver cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then among them, and the approximately 40% uh, will expire hmm. just because of uh, HCC-related uh, complications. And, and I think maybe we should uh, just clarify for our uh, listening audience uh, the difference between the kinds of liver cancer that you're speaking about, which arise in the liver, and, um, you know, many patients uh, or listeners know people who had a tumor in their breast or colon and then develop what they think is liver cancer. Can you explain Correct. that? Correct. And the liver cancer or hepatocellular carcinoma is developing from the liver cells. Mm-hmm. That's what we call primary liver cancer. Mm-hmm. And there, there is another category, what we call metastatic uh, liver cancers. Someone who had breast cancer or colon cancer or ovarian cancer, then the, the uh, cancer cells and travels through the vessels and nests in the liver. And then the, what we call that, it is uh, the metastatic liver, metastatic liver cancer, mm-hmm. which means that primary of the tumor is somewhere else, but uh, it metastasizes in the liver. And if we looked at those cells, they would look like 
usually like the original cells, more like a breast cancer tumor than a liver cancer. That's right. Yeah. So then the, let's uh, talk about the pathologic diagnosis. Mm -hmm. When we have any mass in the liver, um, uh, we do imaging studies. Sometimes imaging studies are pretty good to um, uh, diagnose uh, without biopsy to primary liver cancer. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if there is a secondary, we always do the biopsy. And the biopsy, uh, when we evaluate the biopsy under the microscope, what we see, the you know, biopsy will show us that the primary of the tumor is, is coming from either ovary or colon or breast or somewhere else. That will be the way that we can diagnose it. Okay, and so really uh, for the purpose of this conversation, uh, we're mostly restricted to the kinds that arise in the liver. Is that That's right. right. And okay. Today we are going to uh, strictly talk about primary liver cancer. I see. Um, and those other cancers, it doesn't really matter if the liver has scar tissue or not, right? The liver is just like a sponge that can soak up Co these cells. Correct, right? correct. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do not need to have cancer, the cirrhosis or scarring of the liver to develop other metastatic cancers. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Now, you mentioned that people who have uh, cirrhosis or scarring of the liver are followed by liver specialists, hopefully, and... Uh, and they do some blood tests on a regular basis and scans on a regular basis. That's right. Uh, That's right. To detect early tumors, if possible, right? That's right. So early diagnosis is really important. That's the aim for uh, scrutinizing the patient that we will know uh, <clears throat> and the, if the small tumor is developing. If we uh, capture the tumor early, for sure, treatment is going to be easier. Uh -huh. And uh, that we have different treatment modalities, which we will talk about. Mm -hmm. And, and I, am, I would imagine, <laughs> uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, please, uh, that if you're screening people every six months, a tumor can't get so big in six months. Am I wrong about that? Um, most of the time you are right, but uh, sometimes we have surprises as well. And wow. then sometimes tumors uh, grow very fast. And uh, I just want to make sure that everyone understands. and. The, um, the balance between the tumor and the host, uh, the, the body, is something uh, amazing. Sometimes uh, it works at, uh, uh, you know, in favor of the body or patient, and sometimes it works uh, in favor of tumor. Hmm. Tumor may grow very fast, but you are right. Most of the time, that uh, tumor growth is not going to be very fast if we follow them carefully. So what happens if, say, I'm one of these people who have a you know, cirrhosis, unfortunately, and I'm being monitored diligently and leading a good life, and and they detect a, a tumor and they suspect that it's it's it may be liver cancer. What happens next? Well, it, uh, depending on the tumor location, uh, depending on the uh, tumor size, and uh, and also depending on how sick the patient with liver scarring, mm -hmm. because liver scarring or liver cirrhosis will. Uh, will cause a lot of damage uh, mm. uh, in the body. Medical problems. So, that's right. Mm -hmm. So many medical problems, and the, that includes in the development of fluid in the abdomen, mm. losing muscles, and the, um, uh, the, the patients will become jaundice, and the uh, scleras and eyes, uh, they become yellow. yellow. Uh -huh. That's what we call jaundice. And they may have some itching, pruritus, and the, they lose their muscle mass, and the 
their coagulation or blood clotting is not going to be normal, and they may develop many infections. Hmm. So therefore, that depending on how sick the patient related to liver cirrhosis, and depending on the tumor uh, location um, uh, and size, we may craft many different uh, treatment modalities, mm -hmm. and we can use many different uh, modalities. Well, yes. let's start with uh, a really relatively fit person, if, if that exists in this category. Um, uh, it is. It mm -hmm. is. It's possible that uh, you know the patient may have what we call compensated uh, liver cirrhosis, which means that uh, someone who's working full-time and good energy level, but liver cirrhotic. Uh -huh. if, I, um, if I saw them on the street, I wouldn't think they're sick. Exactly. You uh -huh. are right on that. So then the tumor may develop. Those patients, if we uh, capture the tumor early, then the, our option is, uh, depending on the uh, location of the tumor, uh, we may resect the tumor, surgically remove the tumor. Wow. Or we can use uh, what we call ablation techniques, mm -hmm. and which we, we have many different uh, forms of them. Uh, sometimes what we call uh, radiofrequency or microwave ablation. Microwaves? That, exactly. You put them in an oven. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> but uh, what it is basically that uh, we have uh, under the ultrasound guidance and our interventional radiologists, they uh, stick a needle the middle of the tumor. Wow. And then they uh, generate with the microwave, and because the tip of the needle it will become really hot and uh, with the uh, microwave. And then the, with that, or radiofrequency ablation, that's the same thing. The aim is just to uh, cook the tumor. Cook tumor, the tumor. Tumor becomes really totally dead. Wow. So then the, that's what we call uh, microwave ablation or radiofrequency ablation. Mm -hmm. Another technique our interventional radiologists, they use, um, that uh, they will uh, stick a needle in the uh, one of the... Uh, groin uh, arteries mm -hmm. that that travel through the uh, with the uh, small uh, catheters, they will uh, travel similar to what you would do with a heart cath. That's right, mm -hmm. similar to the heart cath. They travel to the um, uh, the uh, vessels through the vessels into the liver, get close to the uh, t uh, tumor, and first they give a high dose of chemotherapy directly in the tumor. And then they knock down the uh, vessels, arteries, feeding the tumor. Once the tumor becomes, uh, the, the, once the tumor loses all arterial supply, then tumor will become necrotic. Then this is another way of uh, handling the tumor, what we call transarterial chemoembolization or TACE. Wow, this is really fascinating, and I'm going to want to talk more about that after the break. But right now, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to eliminate cancer as a cause of death. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about smoking cessation. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers and operate on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. 
All treatment components are evidence-based and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore. I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Sukru Emery. We are discussing organ transplant for cancer patients. Sukru, um, before the break, you were telling a fascinating story uh, of patients who have an isolated liver cancer tumor in their cirrhotic liver, but they're pretty healthy, and you told us you can cook the tumor with microwaves, which sounded kind of gross to me, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> and then you mentioned uh, that uh, radiologists can put a catheter in and, and choke off their blood supply. That doesn't sound super pleasant either. The, are those effective therapies? Um, they, yes, they are. Uh, that we use those therapies as a bridge to transplantation many times. And if patients are healthy and uh, if tumor is removable, we also prefer to do liver resections, hmm. which means resections mean that uh, removing the disease part uh, of the liver uh, together with tumor uh, with margin that uh, with normal liver, healthy liver tissue around it, hmm. uh, healthy meaning that there is no tumor involvement. Mm-hmm. So the clear margins. So that is also a good treatment for uh, patients with HCC, hepatocellular carcinoma, or liver cancer, mm-hmm. I must say. Um, recently, we started doing uh, this operation using a laparoscopic uh, uh, technique. No what kidding. We call, what we call robotic surgery, that uh, we do not need to make a large incision. Um, that we uh, we work with the small ports, and they work inside uh, via these ports, remove the tumor, and then with a small incision we we take the uh, tumor out of the body. So that will allow us to keep the patients uh, the, the uh, less uh, in the hospital, and they, they don't need to deal with a large incision and the infection related to that, and so on and so forth. Uh, that's a cool technique. Yeah, not exactly like gallbladder surgery. I'm sure it's more complicated. <clears throat> um, uh, the, the surgery is surgery, and the, uh, you know, I, I cannot say that uh, any surgery is easy. Um, uh, having uh, done this job last 35 years, that I can tell, um, sometimes we start the case as an easy case, and it, bec- it will become a disaster. Sometimes you think that's going to be difficult, and but it will go very nice and smoothly. Wow. So surgery is surgery. We will inform our patients before surgery all the complications and other things. Of course. But I believe that honesty is the best policy. And we don't, uh, I personally and the, uh, and my colleagues as well, we don't want to sugarcoat anything. Mm-hmm. And patient and family should know all the uh, complications, side effect, and the problems with the surgery, sure. pros, cons, and everything. We discuss, uh, we don't need to scare them, but we will give them the right information. Of course. Well, I wonder, since they come in with scarred liver in the first place, now you're taking out, I don't know, a third of the liver or half the liver? How much do you Well, take you know, if there's a scar tissue in the liver and we are limited to remove and which part of the tumor, we have certain tests, and I don't want to get into details. Of course. But, um, <clears throat> uh, if uh, the tumor is central, that we are we that will require and uh, removing large part of the liver, 
we may prefer to use ablation techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, then we list the patient for transplantation, and the uh, ultimate goal is do the transplant for those patients. But if tumor is uh, tumor's lo- tumor's location is suitable for resection towards one of the uh, edges, say towards the edges, uh, the uh, uh, the only uh, located the one lobe of the tumor, uh, one lobe liver. of the liver, then then we'll be able to uh, perform the resection. Mm-hmm. Still, resection is considered the <clears throat> gold standard for the treatment of the cancer. I see. <clears throat> but in the rest of their liver is good enough to take over? Well, we have certain calculations, as, as I said. I you see. know, we, we, we measure the liver volume with mm-hmm. the imaging techniques, and then we calculate uh, the volume we are going to remove. Mm-hmm. And then we have certain calculations whether the remnant liver the part we are going to leave with the patient will be enough to cope with the metabolic needs of the patient or mm-hmm. not. If that's the case, we prefer to do resection. If it's not, we, we go with the ablation technique. And when we go to ablation techniques, and the ultimate goal uh, is going to be transplanting the patient. Well, why do these patients who have had these ablation techniques still need a transplant? Is, is the uh, is it because of the underlying cirrhosis or because there's a chance you still haven't killed all the tumor cells? Um, the the ablation techniques and the, the technology is getting better, but uh, recurrence rate can occur. Recurrence mm-hmm. may occur uh, in the ablation cavity or around that, or sometimes, and since the liver is tumorogenic, which means that the liver has scar tissue everywhere, other tumors can pop up in other places. Not related uh, to the liver. first one necessarily. Not related oh. to the first one necessarily. Therefore, that uh, ultimate goal, cirrhotic patients, uh, will be the transplant. I see. But it's not so easy to get a, a liver donated, right? I mean, there, there's, there's a waiting list, I think. That is right. Um, uh, anyone who, is, who meets the criteria to be listed, we list. And there's a national uh, organization, what we call UNOS. UNOS stands for United Network for Organ Sharing. This is the governing body of the all organ transplants. Uh, in the United States, it's the contractor, the HHS, uh, federal government agency, basically. So once we list the patients, and patients uh, uh, should wait on the list, um, the, there is a, a, um, a standard uh, allocation uh, uh, algorithm uh, for uh, liver transplantation uh, what in adults, what we call MELT, Model End-Stage Liver Disease Scoring System. Based on the patients and the liver function test, everyone will get score, and that score goes, uh, lowest is the six and highest is the 40. Based on that, uh, they, were, they were listed. Um, then wait, they wait on the list until a suitable organifer becomes available. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, as you mentioned, then the finding an organ is very difficult organ shortage is very acute. There is a big gap between uh, supply and demand of these organs. Therefore, every year, um, approximately 20% of the listed patients uh, expire while they are waiting because of the organ shortage. Mm -hmm. Um, A a society, a transplant society, we did a lot of developments to alleviate the organ shortage. That's what we use and the... um, 
um, extended criteria organs, and also we do use living donor liver transplantation. I was going to ask you about that. Um, which is a, a good way to alleviate the organ shortage. And can that be done even in this case of these patients uh, with liver cancer? Can you use the uh, partial... Uh, exactly. Liver yes. transplant. Yes, that we can do. Indeed, in early days of uh, living donor liver transplantation, and uh, most of our patients were uh, the, uh, were uh, patients with uh, liver cancer. Actually, mm-hmm. I see. Because, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, and uh, that I uh, uh, actually uh, echoed the same thing. Sometimes patients are uh, healthy and liver functions are perfectly fine, their MELT score is going to be very low. On the other hand, there is a tumor in the liver growing, causing trouble, so then they they may not uh, get the organ offers timely. Um, This was in the past, and that's why we did more living donor liver transplantation for cancer patients. But now with the new uh, organ allocation algorithm, then cancer patients, and as long as their tumor is under control, they may be eligible to get extra melt points, melt scores. Then because they have cancer. That, that since they have a cancer, mm-hmm. yes. And on these uh, partial living uh, donor transplants, are the donors in general people from the family? Um, not, necessarily? not necessarily. Then the, we do um, good Samaritan donors. We do friends and the neighbors and the and the altruistic donors, and uh, we use many different uh, types of donors. This is the the most important thing for us, that um, this is the gift of life. It should come to the bottom of the donor's heart, and uh, buying, selling organs is the federal crime. There should not be any, uh, you know, fault play. As long as uh, the, the people are genuine and people, they want to donate, um, we are okay to use them as donors. Uh, I must say that the donor evaluation is very tedious. Uh, what I call it that the donor evaluation is the best possible uh, checkup anyone ever can get. I bet, yeah. So that the, there are many uh, tests, there are many exams and cardiac evaluations, imaging studies, uh, head to toe, and everything else. Um, then we do uh, many calculations, and the, that the part we are going to take from the donor should be enough for the recipient. Part we liver part we are going to live with the donor should be enough for the uh, donor's uh, uh, initial life. initial initial uh, you know functions. Liver, what we call blessed organ or privileged organ, the reason what the liver grows back, mm-hmm. so that uh, if we take the health of the liver. Um, liver grows back to normal size. No kidding. And uh, approximately six weeks to eight weeks time frame. No so kidding. That's that fascinating. Is, it is a fascinating thing. But indeed, and uh, this is known uh, since ancient Greek. Um, if you remember, <coughs> God Zeus uh, punishing Prometheus sure, by uh, stealing the, the, uh, uh, stealing the, uh, uh, the fire, uh, fire mm-hmm. and uh, he was chained to rock, and every morning, eagle comes, uh, eats the liver, and during the night, uh, liver regenerates and grows back, and it goes uh, on and on. So since then, we do know um, liver is, a, liver is a, a privileged organ that grows back. It takes uh, approximately six weeks to eight weeks, 
it's not that fast uh, that uh, I mentioned in the mythology. <laughs> but on the other hand, it, it takes six to eight weeks time frame and grows back. Uh, based on the studies we are done, as well as the others, the growth of the liver is somewhere around 98%, 103%. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. And it still seems like a tremendous act of altruism uh, to do this because, it, you know, you mentioned all the intensive medical investigations that need to be performed, but I imagine the surgery is not pleasant either well, for the donor. Uh, for the donor, and uh, yes, then they are going to have pain. They are going to have incision. Um, uh, we are planning to do the donor operation with a robotically that they can have less incision uh, and the better outcome and less pain for sure. Um, uh, when it comes to donor evaluation, uh, we don't want to have any stone unturned that uh, we can uh, kick ourselves later on. That's a complete evaluation and explanation of the comp- all the complications and other things. And um, donors are our heroes. I mean, they, despite the fact that they are going to have pain, they are going to have uh, possible uh, complications, and they, uh, they want to do this thing, they, they go through. Um, that's why they are our heroes, and we do everything to um, uh, make them better uh, during the case and after the case as well. Our commitment to donors is forever. We do see them uh, yearly follow up, and uh, as long as they come. But most of them, they say, hey, they, you know, two, three years later. I'm fine. You know, I'm fine, Dr. Emre. You know, just should I Ready come? Ready to donate you know? again, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course, they cannot. But, you know, um, uh, I wish that they can come uh, the yearly visits every time. But sometimes we have a hard time to convince them to come for, uh, 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 you know, yearly checkup. Because By the won't. way, I want to say one more thing. Um, uh, when they donate... Um, they don't need to pay any uh, single uh, uh, cent for this operation. Everything is uh, uh, covered by the recipient insurance. I see. Yeah. Well, you know, we had a, you and I had an agenda of many more things to talk about, but believe it or not, we're out of time. Uh, it's been great having you on uh, Yale Cancer Answers. It's been a terrific show about um, liver cancer, and we will have you back shortly and get to the rest of our list because we have a lot of fascinating things to talk about. Thank you. And I want to say last thing that, you know, after transplant, if tumor is in the liver, if that's treated with uh, previously the resection or uh, the ablation techniques, uh, after transplant, uh, uh, patient's outcome is excellent. Dr. Sukru Emery is a professor of transplant surgery at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.